0: Everywhere you look today, everywhere you look today, people are trying to get the perfect body. They are. They're trying to get the perfect abs, the perfect thighs, and yes, the perfect buttocks, and yes, I just said that in church, okay? There are tons of YouTube videos on how to drop 20 pounds, uh, and for the past two months, we have been warned, we have been warned, swimsuit season is just around the corner, Right? To which most people go, they want to scream because it's not necessarily a good thing. There are, for some people, there are videos on how to gain weight and build muscle mass. I promise, there are videos out there on those on those topics. Most Americans I know, most Americans I know, are not actively trying though to get the perfect body. Most Americans I know just don't have the time, the money, or the umph. But when they pass by the mirror, they're not exactly thrilled by what they see. But, but they've kind of, you know, this is where I am. Uh, and, and so, teenagers, I want to let you in on a secret about the grown-ups in this room. Most, if not all of the grown-ups in this room, if they could, they would change at least one of their physical features. They would. And this is true for most people in life. For the longest time, I prayed and I wanted, God. Make me bigger. There's a picture of me. I actually like the body I have now more than I liked the body I had at 20, only because there's more of it. <laughs> I know, for some of you, are like, that's pretty scary. Yes, yes, there's a picture of me with my groomsmen uh, at the swimming pool the day before my wedding. You can count my ribs. And my arms and my legs look like a basically a human version of a stick person. And it's bad because today, still today, when John Mark was in marching band, I would show up to help you know, from time to time with the load in and load out. And all of the guys would take one look at me and then assign me some kind of other task. Which is ironic, right, because we're a portable church. I'm used to moving in heavy equipment. But, but their conclusion, just looking at me, is no. No, nope, no, nope, not going to be a help. And uh, I actually helped somebody, uh, their parents, move this summer. I'm not going to name their, their, their name, but their, parent, their parents were flabbergasted. You know, that, that pastor of yours, that Pastor Max, he's strong. He could actually lift boxes and furniture, I know, it's like, miraculous, how could a guy like this do that, you know? So I, all that is to say, I know what it is to kind of want to tweak your body, I do, um, and everybody kind of wants to tweak their body some way, but here's something you may not realize, the body that you have is actually a gift, the body you have is actually a gift from God. God made you an embodied creature. And yes, you have a soul, you have feelings, you have emotions, you have wants and desires, and all of that's in there, but you also have bones and capillaries and a heart and some lungs. You're an embodied creature. And at the end of the world, at the end of all things, we who follow Jesus are looking forward to something called Resurrection Day. Resurrection Day, the day when all who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, get an imperishable body, whatever that means. And we're going to flesh that out in a minute. Most Americans, though, don't realize this. You want to know why? Most Americans are Platonists. They're Platonists. For those of you that went to college, you may recall studying a Greek philosopher named Plato. Plato. He's famous because in The Princess Bride, Vicini says, Plato, Aristotle, Idiots, I tell you, okay? Plato's also famous because he has a closet, apparently in Lexington, where you can get really fashionable clothes at low prices. Plato is also famous because of the views that he had about human nature. Plato believed that humans were comprised of two parts, a body and a soul. The body goes away and it doesn't last. The soul lives forever. So one is temporal, one is... Eternal and and he made this distinction between physical and spiritual. And so, Platonism, Platonism, and that idea that, that that the world is two things, physical and spiritual, and that that the spiritual is is the real thing, and the physicals you know not something that you should really enjoy, and it's you know ugh, it's less. That's actually Plato. That's not what the Hebrews believed. It's not what the Bible consistently teaches. But Platonism kind of snuck its way into the church in the Middle Ages and has flourished ever since. So that today, today you'll hear, uh, and even in American history, we talk about, I'm going to shed this mortal coil. I've got news for you. You get a new coil. You don't just shed it. I mean, you get a different coil. (laughs) You were made an embodied creature. And in the resurrected life, you're going to be... An embodied creature, you get a body, body body, and you that's your one thing, okay? So I'm gonna, I want to flesh that out. Platonism creates this false dichotomy between physical and spiritual. I believe the Bible teaches something better. It affirms the resurrection of Jesus, that the resurrection of Jesus is the first of many, and that when Jesus returns on Resurrection Day, we will get imperishable bodies and live a new life on a new earth. For some of you, you're like, I can't believe you're taking this. This is heresy. I challenge you, research it. Meet me for coffee. We'll talk about it. But I guarantee this is biblical orthodox theology. All right? So open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to start in verse 20, and then we're going to go through verses 42, almost to the end of the chapter. So, And they'll put that verse on the, on the board. So Paul, in writing this letter, he's an apostle, and he's writing this letter to the church in Corinth, and he says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. Some translations say he is the first fruits. But the key is, what are these two words right here? Great harvest. That's many. That's and that's what we're going to get into in just a minute. Jesus, when he rose from the dead and his resurrected body, what we're promised in the Bible is that we're going to get a body like that. I know, it's kind of strange and also kind of awesome. So let's flesh this out. Verses 42 and following. All right? Actually, let's start at verse 35. 35, sorry. So, chapter 15, verse 35. Someone may ask. How will the dead be raised? What kind of bodies will they have? You were just asking those questions yourself. What a foolish question, he says. When you put a seed into the ground, it doesn't grow into a plant unless it dies first. And what you put in the ground is not the plant that will grow, but only a bare seed of wheat or whatever you're planting. Then God gives it a new body, the new body he wants it to have. A different plant grows from each kind of seed. Similarly, there are different kinds of flesh. One kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, another for fish. There are also bodies in the heavens and bodies on the earth. The glory of the heavenly bodies is different from the glory of the earthly bodies. The sun has one kind of glory, while the moon and stars have another kind. And even the stars differ from each other in their glory. That's kind of some strange first century analogy going on here. Can we admit this? People don't talk this way in America in 2015. But if you look, there's a word that keeps coming up. Different, 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 different. So there are a couple of things about this resurrected body. Thing number one, it's different than the body you have now. But like a seed that's planted into the ground and becomes a plant, let's say that you put a seed of corn into the ground. The corn doesn't all of a sudden become avocados, right? Because it's corn. Part of what Paul is saying here is that with this resurrected body, you're still you. You don't change you, you're still you, only now you're this, you have this resurrected body. So there's a continuity of you. Uh, I, I learned recently from some of my medical friends that the cells in your body are all brand new. What is it, every three or seven years? So that there's not a single cell in your body that was around Ten years ago. So you're completely new at a molecular level. I know. And you're thinking, no, I've been with me the whole time. Trust me, I haven't changed all that much. <laughs> okay? So you can kind of get a sense of maybe what Paul is talking about here. So he's saying you get a different, it's different, and but yet there's continuity with what you have. All right? So verses, let's go to verse 42 and following. It's the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they'll be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they'll be raised in glory. They're buried in weakness, but they'll be raised in strength. They're buried as natural human bodies, but they'll be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. Again, most people, when they read this, they put on a pair of glasses that say Plato. And when they're reading this passage, they have their Plato glasses on, and they go, "Oh, I get it. Physical and spiritual. And physical is you know doesn't last. Spiritual is you know woo, and but it lasts. Got it. That's Plato. Notice." There's another word that the translators use here, natural human bodies. That particular word, I want to make sure I get this right, it can also be translated being, it can also be translated animated life. Um, So, in looking at this passage, uh, N.T. Wright, who's a theologian, he says this. He says, you could ask the question about a ship, is this a wooden ship or an iron ship? And when you ask that question, you're asking what kind of material is this ship made of? He said, now another kind of question you can ask is, is this a steamboat or is this a sailboat? And when you ask that question, you're asking what kind of energy drives the ship? What Paul is talking about in this passage is the type of energy that empowers the body. When you and I are born, our body is animated by our soul in the resurrected life our body is animated by the spirit and he's going to flesh this out in a few verses but i want you to see that the distinction that paul is making is not between physical and spiritual but it's between what is corruptible what is uh uh it it, it has it wears out it wears out and what is incorruptible what lasts But both are types of bodies. It's not that one is a body and one is a spirit. It's that there are two different types of bodies. So that you're talking about a body that wears out and a body that doesn't wear out. So again, we who have faith in Jesus Christ, we're looking forward to a day when we get a new type of body that won't wear out. Interested yet? Paul drives this point home in verses 45 and following. He says this, The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person, but the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. And there's the phrase. What comes first is the natural body, then the spiritual body comes later. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man. Just as we are now like the earthly man, we will someday be like the heavenly man. So in the resurrected life, our bodies are going to be driven, empowered, energized by the Spirit of God Himself. In bodies that don't grow weary, that don't wear out. And so he's describing two types of bodies. So what kind of body? I have some speculation I've been pulling over theologians of the past, I don't know, thousand years. (laughs) And then the ones that were right after Paul. One question that comes up is, will it be beautiful? Isn't that an interesting question? Think about what we think of as beautiful right now today in America in 2015. You know, airbrushed, skin literally just shaved off in Photoshop. (laughs) Now go back and think of what Leonardo da Vinci painted. Of people and bodies and forms. A little bit more plump, right? Had some heft to it. What, what beauty is has changed over the years on planet Earth, hasn't it? It has. So, Paul, in his language, in the verses that we looked at, when he was, uh, some of the adjectives he uses are the adjectives used in that time period about outward appearance, and they're positive adjectives. So, yeah, your body's gonna be healthy. And a, healthy and appealing. But it's not going to have MS. It's not going to have lupus. It's not going to face cancer. It's not going to, you know, run out of steam. You're not going to feel insecure about the body that you have. You're also not going to feel arrogant about the body that you have. Come on, you know people who are like, it's usually men. Man, woo, You know, they whistle at themselves in the mirror and you're thinking, stop it! <laughs> it's not healthy! Quit! Okay, but... Arrogance, insecurity goes away. Will we have five senses? That's another question that comes up. Jesus, with his resurrected body, shared a breakfast with his disciples. So presumably, he could smell and at least see. So yeah, senses are probably part of the equation. Will this body get tired? Um, Have you ever done a... um, Have you ever done a sport or a physical activity where for at least maybe five minutes you were what I call in the zone, where your body and your mind, everything was lining up and you were able to do what you wanted in that moment? It didn't last, did it? But man, for those five minutes you were in the zone. I mean, body, mind, it was all working together. Can you imagine an existence where when it comes to what God wants, you're able to execute it flawlessly? Is it starting to sound a little appealing yet? See, Mike Lesage, in our family, he gets resurrected life. He says, I don't mind wearing out this body because what? I'm getting a new one. I get a new body that's not going to have knee issues, that's not going to require coding from time to time. I get a new body. This is awesome. It's something to look forward to. Johnny Erickson Tada has a unique perspective on this because Johnny is somebody who has been a quadriplegic for many years. And this is what she writes. She says, I can still hardly believe it. I, with shriveled, bent fingers, atrophied muscles, gnarled knees, and no feeling from the shoulder down, will one day have a new body. Light, bright, clothed in righteousness, powerful, and dazzling. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone with spinal cord injuries like me, or someone who has cerebral palsy, or who has a brain injury, or who has multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives someone who's manic depressive. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. No other religion. No other. So, Jesus' resurrected body is the first of many. Will there be male and female? I think so. When Jesus appeared, some of the people didn't recognize him in his resurrected body, but everybody knew he was a man, not a woman, right? Um, Another question that comes up is clothes. I happen to think there will be clothes. But if everybody's naked, to quote Jean-Luc Picard, I'm going to have to spend time in the gym. No, No, I just... Okay, so, right? So... One of the things that comes up in John's vision in Revelation when he's seeing people in the resurrected life is that they're wearing robes, which is often where uh, we get these weird notions of the afterlife where you have people in bathrobes strumming a harp on a cloud. That is not what's coming, okay? That is like, bleh, who wants to float on a cloud and strum a harp? Okay, you. <laughs> The rest of us, the rest of us, we want something more robust, more colorful, more real. And the thing about the resurrected life is that, the in comparison to this world, it's like going from black and white to color, from going two D to three D. The the vividness, the the taste, the smells, the, everything about it. Nothing is corrupted by sin and death and decay and the things that make life here ruinous. Or frustrating It's gone Because the curse is taken away So uh, There are these passages Revelation 4, Revelation 6, 11 There are people wearing robes Everyone sometimes forgets the context In the first century Do you know what the word that was used to describe what most people wore? Robes (laughs) So for the people in the first century They're like, oh got it, they're wearing clothes Which Which is So this is just Mac's opinion I firmly believe that the flip-flop wears, you know the ones I'm talking about, and it's like January, and you think, put the flip-flops away. I firmly believe they'll probably be donning their flip-flops in the resurrected life, right? <laughs> because, and, and you might see different clothing from different time periods, I don't know. It's just a guess. So why would I speculate about these kind of things? Because I want you to start thinking. I want you to your wheels to turn. What will it be like to be me, on a new earth where God's rule is firmly established, where love carries the day, where there isn't the kind of stuff that i got to wade through now, the angst in relationships, the selfishness, the lying, the cheating, all that stuff, where people are cruel to each other. What will that be like? You get moments of it, right? Because we have phrases to describe this. People that are in an abusive relationship will say, I just spent some time in hell. And then there are people who go off and they do this family trip and maybe they've got this little cabin by the lake and they call it their little slice of heaven. We have language to describe these things. So, what awaits is not some ethereal cloud pie in the sky thing. What awaits is life on new earth. An earth that is not afflicted by the curse. So, Here's, here's the takeaway, and I don't want you to miss this. Your spiritual life is not different from your regular life. Again, that's Plato. That's not Christianity. In other words, well, you know, sometimes I do spiritual things. I read my Bible, I pray, I go to church, and then I've got my regular life. You know, I go to work, I'm married, I, you know, whatever. No, 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 no. You're you. All of you, body, soul, spirit, however you're made up, you're you, one you. You're an integrated life. Your life is an integrated life. There's no such thing as spiritual over here and regular over there. It's all one thing. It's integrated. Luther knew this. Calvin knew this. It's why they talked about the sacredness of marriage, the sacredness of vocation and work, the sacredness of family life, because when you're drinking coffee with your family, that's actually a sacred thing. You living life, it's one integrated thing. So let me bring that back to Jesus so that you can understand what I'm talking about. Jesus, Jesus got a hearing for what he taught because of what he was doing. Think about this for a minute. So Jesus shows up on the scene and he's teaching these radical things, but on the side he's healing the sick. He's showing compassion and love to people who you're not supposed to show compassion and love to. He's So in, in his actions, in sowing seeds, little seeds of justice, in living out love, in, in, in those small kind of everyday things and encounters, the woman at the well, I mean the list goes on. Because of how he lived, people were interested in what he had to say because of what he was doing. It was all connected, and so I want to suggest to you this morning that, to quote N.T. Wright, to hope for a better future in this world for the poor, the sick, the lonely and depressed, for the slaves, the refugees, the hungry and the homeless, for the abused, the paranoid, the downtrodden and the despairing, it is not something else. It is not something extra. It is not something tacked on to the gospel. It's all connected. It's all connected. I want to suggest to you that your integrated life may very well give someone else a picture of God. Right? Just like Jesus, what, how you live and what you do may, in the eyes of someone else, gain you a hearing to talk about the gospel, to talk about who God is, to talk about how life works. And I want to suggest to you that someone is watching you. Someone's watching you. They are. And so, would you give them a good picture? I know it's not about flawless performance. We, this isn't a church that emphasizes you've got to be perfect and follow this long list of rules. But it is about reflecting Jesus. At the end of your life, at the end of this long trajectory, you want people to say at some level, well, despite all the quirkiness, despite the personality, boy, they reminded me of Jesus. Boy, they reminded me of Jesus. That's the epitaph you want. And so I want to suggest to you that when you're spending time with your older neighbor whose kids live in Cleveland and only come down once a year, and she's talking your ear off and you think, I got to go, I got to go, right? In that moment, there's some God things going on. You're conveying value to someone. I want to suggest to you that when there's a wrong at school and you're like, the school can't operate this way. They've got to change this policy. And you've got that bee in your bonnet. That's justice. <gasps> Fighting for justice. I want to suggest to you there's God in that. It's not regular life and then spiritual life. It's all life. When someone's struggling or they're sick or they just had a baby and you make a meal or you take the younger kids for a few moments. I know it's a small thing, but remember, see, there's God in that. There's God in that. So... We, as a community of faith, we believe and we affirm that when Jesus comes back, he's coming back as king, he's coming back as judge, and he's coming back to give all those who've put their faith and confidence in him resurrected bodies, imperishable bodies, incorruptible bodies, life with him on the new earth without the taint of sin and death. That's no small thing. That's a good thing and a great thing.